Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell. Hanging out here on a Wednesday following the Super Bowl. We got signing day. Mm-hmm. Massive show to get to. We got LeBron was blown out. Then he's sitting by himself into the end of the bench. Can't wait to get your thoughts on that. Couple NBA trades as we're getting closer to the trade deadline, which is uh, tomorrow. But Rajah's out. We're gonna have to rename the show Canel Bell and Tramp. <laughs> like seriously, you <laughs> were here yesterday, yesterday here. for me. Yeah, this is the first time actually I think I've been on this seat, uh, which is interesting because then like I'm I'm slightly thrown off a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it's man, it's good to be with you and uh, get through the next hour. You, I have to say this. I think you have one of the best names in the business. Like it's maybe you're in the wrong business. It feels like Hollywood. Like you should be a Hollywood superstar. <laughs> I think it's like, just because it's like Fran just flows. I think yeah, I think it just flows. And like, even when I sort of like introduce myself, it works out easier because then people won't even just call me Tommy. Like hey, Tommy Tran. Like right. it kind of just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> so I'm very fortunate to then people kind of remember that a little bit. So um, it just makes it. And yeah, like coming from local is like the perfect like TV name because actually you know there's some people change their last name. Absolutely, they change do. their first is yours, name. Yours real name? Mine's mine's a real name. Birth name. Birth name. Oh, that's there's perfect. Yeah, so that's we got it in there. So it worked out. Now it's funny. Because like when I was growing up, like very early stages of social media, I was like the only Tommy Tran. Now, if you look, it's like, it's like <laughs> right. you got a lot to filter through. So a lot of people have either changed it or now Tommy's become a little bit of an easier uh, name to add to Tran. There. All right, we want to get into some of the uh, NFL stuff because there were a couple coaching hires in the last couple of days that have made. But before we get to that, I have some very important that we're dying to get to. Coke has been in my ear saying you got to lead the show with this. Mm. I totally agree. So did you see the story? There was a guy who was jogging. In Colorado. Was it Colorado, Coca? I think it was Colorado. Yeah, it was Colorado. It was Colorado, and he was attacked by a mountain lion. Dang. So, in self-defense, he ends up fighting the mountain lion. Oh, I think I heard about To this. the death. Wow. And the guy, the jogger, gets scratched up, but he actually ends up taking care of the mountain lion. Like, suffocating him to death, because he's, he's doing it in self-defense. Do you think... If you were in a life or death situation, could you take out a mountain lion? Um, I like to think I could try. Um, I don't know if I could. I, I'm trying to think about how that could even happen because you're thinking it's a distance runner. We're assuming if it's Colorado, I mean, right. maybe, maybe borderline trails, you right? Go out, and and there's a lot of Olympians who train there, so maybe obviously you're talking about the upper echelon of athletes. But just to be able to have sort of the the mental thing about going up against a a mountain lion. This is not even like a canine or anything like that. And you're like. WTF, like what's going on here? And to have the wherewithal to even go up against that, I think it is ballsy. Here's where I think I could take them out. Cause I, did, I left out a couple details because I wanted to say, <laughs> have you ever seen a mountain lion? Like they are massive. From afar. Yes. Huge. Not like, up close. Fully grown. They kind of don't look that much different than real lions. They're yeah. skinnier, but they're still really tall. It was, what the heck is the word, Coca, that I keep forgetting? A it juvenile, was a juvenile mountain lion. Mountain lion. So it was younger. And it was 80 pounds. Mm-hmm. So an 80 pounds is a big dog. Like it's a German sure. shepherd right. sized dog. Right. If a German shepherd came after me, I could take it out. Like, and it was trying to kill me. I would take it out. I would think, yes, the mountain lion's going to have bigger claws, bigger teeth, right. but I think in a life or death situation, I would do it. And the suffocation aspect of it makes total sense because you're going to use your weight to your advantage. Like yeah. you're not going to fight. You're not going to hit them. You're not going to do anything. Like you got to get your weight on top of them, pin them down. And then if that thing's scratching out, the only thing to do is just right. get on top of it and choke it out. Yeah. You want to be able to have the leverage and not allow uh, the mountain lion to then use its strengths to kind of get at you. But uh, yeah, I like Oka to think I, I could. Was crazy. He said, there's no chance. And he's like, I can't believe you think you would. 
It just depends on the situation. Like, like, what are you gonna do? You gonna you're gonna outrun the thing? Like, I don't think you <laughs> that are. Ain't obviously ain't not. Sure. So you might as well take your chances and kind of go toe to toe and and see what. But happens. Danny talks about it like he's actually like it's done it before. Like he's done it before. <laughs> well, didn't you just see how he explained it? He's like, it's you do this, you do not this. Real. You don't allow. Yeah, yeah you it's not real. What what's gonna guy. happen is the mountain lion's gonna show up and Danny's. <laughs> Danny's going to not do anything he said he's going to do, and he's going to be the guy on the news that says, like, first reported death by mountain lion in Florida. I used to spend hours running in the trails of Avon, Connecticut. (laughs) I I I saw bears over in the distance, saw deers. They didn't want to mess with me because you got to give off that aura of just don't mess with me. I think that's the thing. If you've you've experienced or even lived in, like, country life, I think, again, it's like a different uh, feel to what you do. Or if, like, you live in the city and people talk about the rodent problem, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so scared of rats. Like, eh, that's just my neighbor. Yeah, that's that's just my neighbor. Or if there's like cockroaches, you're just like, oh, you know, I've dealt with that before. And then some people have never dealt with it before. Give you the most terrifying thing that they've ever had. See, this type of breakdown we give you on Canelo. Yeah. And Tran. <laughs> Today, at least, anyway. Uh, so the Patriots had their sixth Super Bowl parade. It kind of is amazing. And you saw some of the signs that were going out there. Some of them not appropriate for work. But there were some where there's this little kid and he's out there and he's like, this, he's only like two years old. And he's already been to a couple parades. There's a kid that's 16. He's like, I've been to all of them. Mm. You know, his legend keeps growing. Um, so the fan turnout at these, like they don't get tired of it. It's pretty crazy that they do this. And I mean, it's just this franchise is like, when is it going to go away? And I've I'm not getting away from it this year because I faded them throughout the playoffs and I got toasted thinking, well, all these other teams have more talent than they do. As long as Brady and Belichick are on that sideline, I'm sticking with them. And I think you might see a seventh parade. I don't know if it's coming next year, but I think Brady has two years left, legitimately two years left. I think you've seen him start to go a little bit. I don't think he falls off the cliff like everybody's talking about. I think the game is such that he knows the rules. He knows he can protect himself. He gets the ball out. I don't think he's going to go down from an injury. Now, if he tears his Achilles or something freakish, then it's right. a whole other ball game. But as long as Brady and Belichick are there, they're going to be back right here. Yeah, I just, man, I like the way the league is constructed for parity and the way that the draft is set up, obviously, for the worst team to have the best shot. It's incredible what the Patriots are doing. And I just think unless, because to your point, it's like I bet on the Chargers, the Chiefs, and the Rams and lost all three, but it's like, you know, the, the, the talent on those teams marginally be better. I don't know if we would say a lot better, and I don't think we're ever going to have, like, a super team. And, and to that point, then you have, you know, if you have the Patriots cruise through the AFC East, which they always do, they're going to get that first-round bye, so you're given two weeks to prepare, then one week in a title game, and then another two weeks when you give the edge to Belichick. It's crazy. I was talking to Raj about this. I, I, I always leaned, you know, when, when obviously there's there's a lot of credit that goes to both uh, Brady and Belichick, but I used to always lean Brady. Like I, I was always more of a Brady guy, but now it's like seeing what Belichick does and how he out coaches everybody. I think that's the real edge. Like if you did take Tom out or if he is sort of, sort of on this decline, no one's catching up to Belichick right now. Not even guys that we think are really good like Sean McVay. Who do you think? And this is a very important answer because if you give me the wrong answer, you might not be allowed back. Do I got to walk out right now? Right, no, we need you for the rest of the show, but you're never allowed back. Who do you think means more? To the dynasty, is it Brady or is it Belichick? Maybe that's what the dudes were fighting over at the parade. Oh I yeah, I was, was going to bring up that video, by the way. Oh like my you're goodness, supposed to be celebrating. Maybe they're arguing about who meant more to the franchise. I, who who do you think means more? Like I said, I I was always a Brady guy, but I through this last Super Bowl has started to kind of give Belichick more due. Like to be honest, like every conversation or every time. It would come up amongst friends or here on any kind of media platform. I was always more of the Brady guy, the goat guy. But uh, what we're seeing now with Belichick, 
I think I'm, I'm, I'm still with Tom, but I'm, I'm giving Bill a little bit more deal. So I put out a poll yesterday on Twitter, 11 million votes, something mm. around there. Who has meant more to the Patriots? Most people are on your side, Bill Belichick. I am on the side of Tom Brady. I'm on the side of the guy actually making the plays, the guy that's making the throw to Gronk. And, yes, it was a defensive game. That's why I think there are, there is a recency bias to this poll because of the way it was a defensive game, because Brady's numbers weren't off the charts. But Brady was still seventh in the NFL in total yards. He still put up really good numbers as a quarterback. Ultimately, Tommy, you know what it probably is? These two together are just something that we'll never see again. And that's probably why you have this recipe. Because I don't think, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. If you gave Bill Belichick, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, pick your quarterback and give him them, I don't think he wins six. I don't. And then if you put Tom Brady on the Steelers or you put him on the Packers with Mike McCarthy or you put him with the Saints with Sean Payton, I think you might see more Super Bowls than they got with Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, or um, Peyton Manning and the Broncos. Like I, th- I think Brady is that difference because, and the thing that I think really helped Belichick with Brady is Belichick. His coaching style wears on you, right? Like it's it's a grind. It's you know players leave and they say it wasn't fun. It was miserable. It's all work, no play. Brady gets there as a six rounder, chip on his shoulder. Whatever you say, coach. Whatever you say. And then he kind of takes on this mentality of nobody believes in me. So he's willing to do whatever you want to do. And then he has success with it. So then he keeps tricking himself and using all the motivational tactics that he uses so that he kind of falls in line. And you have these two people who are the best at their craft and they have this intense focus and desire to just win Super Bowls. And that's why I think they work. Like I think if Aaron Rodgers goes to, goes in place for Bill Belichick, I think the first time, you know, maybe it's a couple times that Belichick comes over and in practice and says, and this has happened. This is a real story. This isn't made up. If he goes up to Aaron Rodgers, starts chewing him out in practice, and that high school kid down the street has a better arm than you, I think Aaron Rodgers looks at him like, are you crazy? I'm, I'm Aaron Rodgers. Like, you can't tell me that. You know, I think it's, it's a personality where, and they've even clashed, but they've been able to get past their differences because they both want to be great. And winning cures all. And yes. I think that's the thing. So remember, obviously before the Eagles Super Bowl, it was a season of the Alex Guerrero and the friction between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Didn't really hear that this year. And again, when you are winning, I think they're so, both of these guys want to win above all else that they respect each other's game and they realize that they do need each other. And to your point too, I think it goes hand in hand because it's not like the Patriots have always drafted well. And when they do bring stars, it doesn't always work out. Even Josh Gordon this past year, back when even when they had Randy Moss, obviously they get to the Super Bowl, but it's like, you know, that's, you hear about it all the time. It's a little cliche, the Patriot way or, or this type of player is a, a perfect Patriot player. It's because those defensive guys are, are, are into buying what Bill Belichick is doing. And then offensively, Tom, to your point too, makes everybody better, making J- Julian Edelman a Super Bowl MVP, which some people are even calling, uh, Hall of Famer, which I don't buy into. Sorry. But just to even have that conversation though, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and obviously with Gronk too, speaks to what both guys have been able to do. For sure. So now when you have this combination, everybody's trying to figure out what they can do. Quarterbacks are hard to find. Coaches, cause it's hard to like, hey, I want to find the next Brady. Like you don't see teams going out. They're trying to draft six rounders, but you just don't see that happen. But coaching, you can say, I'm going to pluck a coach from that staff and that's the next Belichick. And you're seeing this fad. The Belichick fad has been around for a while. The Sean McVay trend has really just burst on the scene this offseason. We're seeing a number of hires. So a couple coaches were introduced yesterday. One of them was Brian Flores as he did his opening press conference, the Miami Dolphins. He had a spectacular defensive performance uh, in the Super Bowl, shutting down that Rams offense. 
here's my thing with all of these trees and all these extensions of these coaches. Like the only, tell me the success on there. That's yeah, not a lot. Nick Saban is the only one, and it's at Alabama. Like you know, Bill O'Brien is still going. Like I mean, is that is he gets the credit because he's still there, but he right. hasn't really taken that team to no, the next level. No, he's been on the level. hot seat a couple times. Absolutely, he has. Josh McDaniels was a failure in Denver. You know, all these guys were not home, home runs, which kind of goes back to my well. That's because Belichick has Brady. That's why he has the quarterback. Yeah. But I've said this a lot about Sean McVay. Maybe there's only one Bill Belichick. Maybe there's only one Sean McVay. These are unique people, the greatest at their craft. They're special. They're born with a gift. And you can't just christen somebody the next one. I would look for guys that are their own people, not trying to just mimic somebody else. It's interesting, and you would know this more than I would, but I'm always curious, like, the front office perspective, because I think... And this goes with all sports, really, but what we're showing here, obviously, with football is like, well, Bill Belichick, nine Super Bowl appearances, and so you pluck, and, and you know, we're showing basically two eras. You're talking about Romeo Cornell, and then, um, you know, Bill O'Brien, and then now on the back end, and we think maybe Josh McDaniels is the coach in waiting whenever Belichick decides he wants to step down. I just think it's always tough, and I don't want to use the word lazy, but it's like, okay, if you're front office guy, it's like, well, they've had success. I'm going to try to get the next closest thing, and that should apply to what I'm doing. And I don't know if they do their due diligence or do the real research or, or the football guys that are within that office to really vet that out and go, well, maybe he, you know he's just the DC. And then with Brian Flores, look, you know, he his story obviously coming from scout to, to linebackers coach to defensive play caller slash de facto DC, but yeah. still didn't have the title. So, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where are, are you hoping you're getting something good? That What, report a five-year deal? Is he going to be able to live out that five years in a conference? If What happens if the Patriots win another five-division titles? You're over three in a row. That What are you going to do then? It's lazy and it's easy. It's easy to sell your local media, your fan base, your ticket holders. When you march this guy out, Brian Flores, he just masterminded that, you know, that defensive performance. It's easy to say for Cincinnati as they introduce Zach Taylor, hey, he's a, he's a disciple of Sean McVay. Like that's the hottest trend. When Cliff Kingsbury is hired as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals and their press release says he's a friend of Sean McVay, that tells you the absurdity of what we're sitting right now in this trend. Here's the thing with Zach Taylor, with him being the head, uh, now the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. He doesn't have any experience as a play caller. And he right. said he's going to call his own plays. We don't know how that's going to be. The best play callers, and we were just talking about this on CBS Sports HQ, the best play callers are the guys that make adjustments week to week. That the Really what separates the week to week is the in-game adjustments. It's one of the reasons Sean McVay lost the Super Bowl. He didn't do anything in the second half to help Jared Goff. Normally he did that through the season. I thought he got overwhelmed by the big stage. But the best play callers know the system – but then they also know how to how to implement it and work to their players' advantages. And that's something that Sean McVay has done. I don't have any confidence in Zach Taylor, who just two years ago was assistant wide receiver coach. He was a quarterback's coach, which is great, but he was an assistant wide receiver's coach. That didn't even exist. I can't even imagine like, how low that is on the staff just two years ago, and now he's the head of your franchise. I don't, it's hard for me to slam it. It's hard for me to say I love these. I just there's a concern for me with Zach Taylor and Brian Flores, like because they're not Bill Belichick and they're not Sean McVay. Maybe there's something, but my advice to them was be yourself. Don't try to be something you're not. Well, that's the thing, right? So both these instances, and if you even throw in a like a Lincoln Riley in college, or Lincoln Riley sort of the hot ticket guy, but really no NFL experience. I think when you're in the NFL, it it can change so quickly. And to your point, you have to adjust uh, on the fly and you have to have that experience of going up against a defense and then changing in game or changing week to week. 
and Zach Taylor hasn't done that yet. Brian Flores, again, play caller, yes, but running running a unit, running a team is a completely different thing where you're at this level, sort of the CEO level, just uh, below the president or, or GM in that situation. And so, again, you're just like, okay, like when you look at these two situations too, like, and we were just talking about on HQ, it's like for Zach Taylor, he's coming in, so all of a sudden he's supposed to fix Andy Dalton. Like, and Andy Dalton's not a second or third year guy. Andy Dalton's been a vet. And how is that going to work? And what conversations did they have before the hiring? And, and are you just sort of slapsticking these two together? Sure feels like it. <laughs> I mean, it, that's the thing. You know, the quarterback, That's it's the combination. You need both. Like if you put – like with Bel- Belichick was a coach of the Browns, you know, for four years. Made the playoffs once, but he wasn't the greatest coach we've ever seen because he didn't have Tom Brady. You know, it is the perfect combination that you have to find both. So one of the things Brian Flores has announced as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, you're wondering, all right, what are they going to do with their defensive coordinator position? Reports coming out right now, like as we speak, that Greg Schiano is going to be officially named their defensive coordinator. He's got ties to Belichick from before. Obviously was at Ohio State, didn't work out there. Was head coach at Tennessee for about 24 hours, you know, and then that fell apart. But I think you you talk about rehabbing your career. We see coaches do that to go to Alabama in college, in the college level. If you were Greg Schiano and you want to be a head coach again, which clearly he probably does, you go to the Patriots and you work with Belichick, you get to another Super Bowl. We'll be talking about Greg Schiano probably next year, which is kind of crazy. That is his trajectory too with what then Rutgers back in the day, even before that, and then the Tampa thing that didn't work out for him. But uh, his story is pretty interesting about sort of a – redemption tour i guess so to speak and then you write at ryan day with urban meyer gone he sort of let go and it'll be interesting to see what happens with him all right welcome back canel bell and tran hanging out talking a little uh signing day we're gonna get to that in just a minute but the lakers i've, I've been a firm believer tommy because i think the nba has become more entertaining off the court mm. than what happens on the court because oh. I think on the court product, like a lot of times it's just jockeying, but ultimately we're all like the Warriors are going to win, yeah. right? There's some entertaining games, you know, they get some f- f- fun finishes, but ultimately like the moves that teams are making to try to knock off the Warriors are what I think are more entertaining, which is why with the trade line tomorrow, trade deadline tomorrow at three o'clock, everybody's speculating what's going to happen. So now Anthony Davis with the Pelicans comes out, says he wants to be traded. He doesn't want to finish his career there, which makes sense. And the Lakers and Magic Johnson, they're, trying to make this trade happen so as a part of this you're starting to hear you know Woj is coming out with Woj bombs left and right and they kept sweetening the deal sweetening the deal where it was like who are the Lakers going to have left to play and basically the, the the latest offer that was made was Kyle Kuzma Hart Ingram Ball Zubak plus two first round picks and taking back Solomon Hill and his contract so that's a lot of key young players on that team that if you're those young players, I'm sure you're looking around like, yeah, well, I'm sure Anthony Davis is great, but I like LA. Like, I like playing with LA. What do you, like, I can only imagine the mindset of a young player in the NBA, like this, their first experience feeling like you're not good enough and you're getting sent off. And so that's part of the story, which I want to get back to that in a little bit. But when last night, when the Lakers are playing Indiana, they're getting smoked on the floor. There was a picture that started making the rounds on social media. It's a picture of the bench, and LeBron is is on the bench, but he is distant down. There are like four seats between him and the rest of the team because it's bam, bam, bam. It's Laker, 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 four empty seats, LeBron at the end. And a lot of people, myself included, were like, oh, that's the way it's going down that locker room because you're hearing all this dissension. You're hearing Luke Walton. Players are arguing after the game. I bet those players in that locker room are like, he's the GOAT. 
but man, he's about to change the course of my life. I don't want to, I don't want to hang with this dude if he's shipping me off to be out of here. I'm sure there's some dissension in there with these guys wondering what their future holds. And because the team is predominantly like young, young, like they're really young guys that are just a couple years out of school or just getting into the league. And it's not like LeBron. I've always sort of, you know, thought of LeBron as great as he is as an athlete and a basketball player. He has a bit of this like short sightedness. I feel like that's really hurt his career. Like it, it, it's, it's it's like a comic book or sci-fi where you know they have this world eater that comes and and really just like soaks up like natural resources and they take <laughs> up this, the world and they move on. It's kind of been what LeBron has done ever since he went to Miami. You go to Miami, you get the super team, and he goes to Cleveland, and he's just he's just changing coaches and rosters and everything like that. And then every year it seems like they get to the finals, but everything's to get LeBron to another championship and then again he leaves now to go to LA and everybody's surprised about uh, the length of his deal because it's like and are you going to spend your last years of your your career there in, in Los Angeles and now it's like you know because I remember when when the shining happened not that they were going to throw this way a year but my understanding of what I heard from Magic and what he sold LeBron is that like we're going to get you this team it may take a year you know, so you got to be patient. But now, as we've seen, LeBron obviously is not about patience. He wants to be able to win now, get to the postseason, because he thinks he can probably uh, go toe-to-toe with the Warriors. And if he can get an Anthony Davis, all of a sudden, you know, you're pushing all this stuff out. But then you got the young team and all these players all have to think about this. They're all on social media. They're on Instagram. They're on Twitter. All hearing these things. It was to no surprise that they probably, you know, threw up the dud yesterday. It's a big reason why I took the Pacers uh, plus the points um, in that game. I just didn't think that they would respond well. Who, like, who do you think the leak is? Because I think that's a, like, if you're trying to make, like, it wouldn't be a big deal if, you know, like, cause all this is playing out publicly, like these offers and Woj and like, and Shams, these guys are all over it. And every time it's increased, they're like, yep, they're bumping up their offer. And then they get the Pelicans counter, which was, you know, this package of four first round picks plus all those, but it was like this insane offer. And if that's kept quiet, and I'm sure those guys can know, but it's playing out publicly. They're no. seeing their names Someone's written out them. there. Someone's feeding. Someone's feeding them that information, and that's why it gets really awkward. Because if they're just traded, it's cut the ties. You guys are on. You wish you well. But now it just makes it that's that it's this awkward situation that they're in. Playing out publicly. That's the big thing, Awful. right? So whether it's Magic or Genie Bust on that side, or if it's LeBron James and Rich Paul on that side, that's where I think it's getting out because they're trying to make this thing happen, and then. On the other side too, you know, we're starting to see now's the time where players like Marcus Saul getting held out of teams because he's probably going to get traded. Um, Anthony Davis has been cleared to practice, but he missed Monday's night's game, and, and sort of he's being held out because they want to get these things done. That's all it is. Like they're they're someone's trying to make sure that this gets done fast. Again, played out publicly, and some of those young guys not handling it well. I think so. What's what's basically happened is the Lakers have shown their desperation. It's what's happened, and the Pelicans are like, "Yes, like let's go." And then they had these four first rounders, and then the Lakers dialed it back, and they, you know, supposedly said, "Nope, we're done. You guys come back to us with a counter and saying they're taking their whole thing off the table." I don't believe that for a second. I still think they're desperate, and I wonder if LeBron's injury to his groin, where he missed more time than I think a lot of people thought he was going to miss. I wonder if that kind of made him a little bit more urgent mm-hmm. in saying, man, I am getting older. This thing set me back more than I've ever felt before. And that's why they're even more aggressive and more desperate to make this trade. That's what I kept watching. When I th- so I don't think it's done at all. I would not be shocked at all if you see 
not the whole entirety, the, the whole kit and caboodle as the Pelicans are looking for, but I think you'll see the Lakers do everything and bend over backwards to try to make this happen. Yeah, they threw everything. Like, I don't believe it's done. They were, the Lakers were trying to say goodbye, like we're done dealing. No, this is posturing now. Absolutely. It's just it like, is. okay, we say we gave the best offer. We just threw everything short of the Staples Center in this deal. And then, uh, you know, you say you want four. Maybe they decide and settle on three. Maybe it is the two. It's just, I don't think it's done yet. And to your point, I think it's cool that, LeBron maybe seeing that he's a little bit vulnerable. He hadn't played all 82 regular season games plus the postseason, hadn't been injured, and all of a sudden that groin injury, and Rogers talked about it too. I mean, you you don't come back from that fully healthy. It could derail you for a long time. So so everyone's focused on this one. There have been a couple other trades. One of them, the uh, 76ers acquired Tobias Harris, which guys averaging 20 a game. That all of a sudden, like we've been so focused on the Lakers, LeBron, could be a little bit of a shift of power in the East with them getting Tobias Harris, Boban, Mike Scott. The Clippers get, you know, a couple dudes who are, you know, pretty good players and they get a couple uh, first round picks. But the Sixers who beat the Warriors the other, the other night, you know, they add a player to their mix where the East is so wide open. You know, Toronto looks good, but I think the Sixers all of a sudden are saying, hey, we're here to play some ball too. I like the Tobias Harris move, and, and you're right, he is a very good player. He's part of that Blake Griffith deal from Detroit that sent him to the Clippers, and now he's going back to the Eastern Conference. And they got their sort of closer and their third big three guy in Jimmy Butler early this season. The only thing that scares me a little bit is they did ship Landry Shamit, the rookie from Wichita State, was really one of their few shooters. They still have J.J. Redick, but the team last year had some good shooting, and they let a lot of their guys go. And to me, I still think... When it comes to a big series, they may get exposed with with the three point shooting. Uh, they can close out games. They've got Simmons and Embiid, and I, and I mentioned Redick there. But some of the pieces they had last year in terms of the shooters, they don't have this year. That's the only thing that would really concern me about them. But I do think this is a year to go all in because to you know what you said earlier, Boston's vulnerable. Toronto, we still don't know exactly what's going to come through with them playing an entire season. They could have another you know great franchise best regular season and then fall short in the postseason. Yeah, so everybody's eyes at 3 o'clock tomorrow, trade deadline. We'll have to see. There's going to be some action. There'll be some shakeup, and I think the entertainment continues as we're going. There is another – it's not a deadline, but it's a big day in college football. It's signing day. It's national signing day. It's kind of kind of fallen by the wayside because of the December early signing days. Like, it used to be today was the day. It was lined up from 6 a.m. until midnight. You have guys committing across the country. It was on national television. Everybody was wondering where to go. And now it just feels like it's taking such a backseat. And there are some guys who are out there committing. You're seeing news, and we're all over it here at HQ. You can check that out all day. Our guys at 24-7 Sports are all over it as well. I, it's just, I, it's hard for me to get fired up about signing. And I've covered it. I've been on that. I've been on the, you know, I've been there for 24 hours and been there watching it. Yeah. I can't stand it because you know how many guys I've seen that were five stars and they were sure things and they were going to be locks and they were guaranteed starting positions and then they're total flops. And that drives me nuts. Like that, that's, that's why I don't like signing day because there's so much hype and these guys have not taken a snap yet. They haven't caught a pass. They haven't made a tackle. And it's just, I don't know what it, maybe I don't, I don't think it's jealousy because I, you know, we didn't have the signing day when I was there and it wasn't as big a deal, but it just gets annoying to me to see these kids who are anointed superstars and they haven't done anything yet. It's part of just sort of the evolution of a couple things, right? Social media and the business of prep sports. And prep sports has always been tough to sort of monetize as a whole. Like, you know, I came from the local level out in, in Fresno, California, and, you know, signing day used to be one of our busiest days of the year. It's because, you know, and I was doing it before sort of Twitter had blown up, and all of a sudden you're waking up early, and let's just say we had three or four 
four-star guys that were going to go to Pac-12 schools. And maybe one would say at Fresno State, all of a sudden you got to drive an hour and a half to get to this kid. you got to get 45 minutes to this kid. Some of them are having it at the same time. And it's just kind of – now it's social media. Like, it's all streamlined. It's now all in. And the guys make their decisions early. And it's not as crazy it used to be. But then now it's like – you got these seven on seven tournaments. You have all these recruiting services. We have guys like our, our buddies over 24 seven that sort of crystal ball. So it's become a year round thing where these guys get rated and then you figure out where they go. The interesting thing was, so, so for instance, like obviously Alabama barring a, a miracle is going to finish number one this year. Yep. Georgia is going to be number two and, and it would have taken multiple flips for it to happen. But talking to Barton Simmons, who, who we work with a lot at 24 seven sports, you know, Bama, he said, has the potential to be the second highest rated recruiting class in their sort of history, 24-7 sports, which would be only surpassed by the 2010 Florida Gators. And you and I were looking it up, Ooh, and I have it up right now. It? Let me list this out right now. So okay. a bunch of five-star guys, right? Yep. Uh, Ronald Powell. Okay. Dominique Easley. Okay. Sharif Floyd. Matt Elam. And Josh Shaw. Those are just the five stars alone. Yep. And there's a bunch of four stars, obviously. So the, the highest rated, I gotta be honest, I don't even remember any of these. Right. Guys. No disrespect in college. And I don't know if Jimmy made it to the league. Some of them had decent careers, but they weren't like first round locks overall. And that's one of the things that goes to you. I think the thing I take away from it, and this is an argument I have all the time from the SEC fans who are like, we well, yeah, we have the best recruiting class. We have the most NFL players. It does correlate. You need to have. A top 15. I, w- I was going to say top 20, but you, it's, if you look at the national championships and the teams they're won by, I'm, all, I'm pretty sure it's almost every single one in the last 20 years has had a top 15 recruiting class and like multiple ones. Like you have to have the talent. College football is talent acquisition. That's why I get fans hang on this by their every thread and they're sitting there updating every time. It does matter. Like you're going to accumulate this many. That's why Bama's in the championship game all the time because they have better talent than everybody else. That's always funny to, to look at coaches because some guys are in-game coaches. Some guys are good with the boosters and stuff like that. And then some guys are just recruiters that have better guys than everybody else. But Dabo Sweeney, you look at Clemson, I mean, they have good recruiting classes. They never have the best recruiting classes. And what the coaches do there, obviously, getting them up to a national title level. Yeah, they're currently sitting at uh, nine overall. So they're definitely there. They're, they're not going anywhere anytime soon. State of Texas having a huge day, too. All right, welcome back. Ken Ellen Bell and Tran today, uh, hanging out, finished off some leftovers. So I get asked all the time because I was drafting baseball, played baseball and football at Florida State, was a two sport athlete. I was like, which one do you think you should have played? I wish I would have played the NBA. I don't even know <laughs> if I would have been close to sniffing it, but I, sh- I just would have gone all in on the NBA. You, you know why? Not. Why? Did you see? So John Wall had, um, bone spurs moved from his foot. He had surgery to do that, uh, in late December. And then he has an infection. They go back in there. And when they're going back, um, he had another fall, like a wacky injury while he was already kind of, you know, laid up trying to, you know, get his foot back together. Falls. Then he suffers a ruptured Achilles tendon after the slip and fall in his house. So the next four years, John Wall's going to miss a year for sure. Who knows if he's a guy who relies on his speed, quickness and all that. Who knows if he's going to be back to his same. But he's due 37 million next year. For the next four years, it's 37, 41, 43, 45 million. It's like absurd numbers that he is guaranteed to get. And obviously, if you're a Wizards fan, you're like, man, this is a rough blow. But I felt like the Wizards have been one of the biggest disappointments the last couple years. And I was a team that I liked 
the Bradley Beal, John Wall backcourt. I love those guys together. I didn't think they were intimidated by LeBron. I, I like the way they played the game. And yet here they are. This franchise looks like they're about as bad as it gets right now. It's tough. They were, I heard they were going to be sellers too, not that long ago. Like you wonder what this, what direction this franchise. Yeah. Is they're going. trying to maybe, uh, shop out Otto Porter Jr., who makes a lot of money too, by the way. And <laughs> he, uh, John Wall, that is, it's just like that contract is like an albatross, man. And like the crazy thing is like Wizards fans have actually been through this before. Remember Gilbert Arenas had a monster contract and yes. he was also now the difference. And now actually, uh, and Grunfeld actually moved that deal magically. So that was actually, so never say never, but uh, I mean, the way, he was already projected to be out and the way his contract was set up. And then you see the way that this latest injury happened, kind of slipping and fa- like kind of a freak kind of a thing. It's just my goodness, like pour one out for you if you're a Wizards fan, man, because it's not going to be any better anytime soon. No. And I mean, the one, you know, bit of optimism if you're John Wall is Boogie Cousins actually suffered a uh, similar injury last year and he offered advice. His quote was, I basically told him to prepare for hard days because it's a lot of them through it all just trying to make sure you're better yourself each day and once that day is behind you just move on to the next that was my advice like i said there's no doubt in my mind he'll ever come to this so growing up i was a huge dan marino fan like that was my idol that's why i wore number 13 at florida state he had the achilles tear and like towards the end like beginning of his career marino had outstanding mobility in the pocket like and he wasn't ever a runner he wasn't a scrambler but he could move around and the achilles and it didn't impact which is why I think he's one of the best ever. It slowed him down. It's when he started to wear like the bigger high top boots and he just started to look even more and more like a statue. Mm-hmm. You saw his mobility limited. Boogie Cousins a big. He doesn't rely on it as much. Like I'm concerned for John Wall and what this means for his play. Not only like, does he come back healthy, yeah, he's going to be able to play. Right. But we've seen other guys, Derek Rose, after his yes. knee injuries. Like you saw a completely different player. That'd be my biggest concern. And some people now. actually argue that Wall is a faster player than Rose. Like the way he attacks and goes up and down and, and whether he comes back or not 100%, I, I, it'll be tough for him to come back, I think, and be what he used to be. So the Patriots always find ways that they're disrespected, right? Like that's their magic. Isn't it? And they, cause they're so great. Everybody usually praises them. And yet it's the flake gate. It's spy gate. It's you guys think we're cheating. It's Tom Brady's old. This past year, it's everybody's best against us. You don't think we're any good. Do you think they can find motivation from a schedule? Oh, because yeah. the NFL, as a part of their uh, 100th season, which is kicking off, which also was the best commercial in the Super Bowl, by the way, the NFL 100 commercial, the NFL is considering traditionally they have the de- defending Super Bowl champ host the Thursday night game to kick off the season. This year, the NFL is going to do something different because of that 100. They're going to go with the oldest franchises, two of them, the Bears and Packers, to open the season and then the Pats would probably be the Sunday night game. Mm. Can the Patriots fool themselves into thinking this is a sign of disrespect? Oh yeah, they can. And the NFL <laughs> and the will. and the NFL keeps doing it. It's it's just kind of one of those fun things that we were talking about the Super Bowl. How uh, sometimes the the Barstool guys get denied to go to access, and that's yes. exactly what they want. This is exactly what the Patriots want. They want this little chip that they can use as a big boulder on their shoulder to propel them into twenty nine. I, I wonder if they'll like put a big <laughs> sign up and says our season doesn't start on the Thursday night. Or use whatever, man. We They'll come out and do something, but some sooner or later they're going to run out of excuses. I've learned from now on, and you have to remind me, we're on the set of HQ and we're teasing the season next year. I'm picking the Patriots when it's the playoffs and they sneak in and they're eight and eight, but they win the AFC East because it's garbage. You remind me, say you told me you weren't going to jump on. I'm picking the Patriots all the way through. I have learned my lesson. I'm not giving them more ammunition and I'm not 
going to jump off that bandwagon. You got to keep me honest too, because like I said, <laughs> I bet against the Patriots all three times in the postseason and lost all of my money. We all have. The Bears and Packers most likely kick off the 2019 season on Thursday night. See you tomorrow.